You know, yesterday we saw Hamas launch thousands of missiles and attack numerous communities throughout Israel. I saw the the loss of life this morning was uh, over 300. Who knows those numbers may may go up higher. Thou, over you know, thousand people, well over a thousand people injured and hurt, hostages taken. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israeli cabinet has declared war upon Hamas. And who knows what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks, days, weeks, and maybe even months. You know, conflict between the, particularly between the Sunni Arabs and the Jewish nation have, have been ongoing. Conflict, persecution among Jews and the Jewish nation really have, have been a part of reality for, for centuries and, and really for, for millennia. They've had, to, they've had to endure much. You know, Christians have also experienced persecution for, for centuries that, that hasn't relented, even to this day. I was reading uh, the, a report by the advocacy group, Open Doors. It estimates that last year, 2022, 360 million Christians. Catch that number, 360 million Christians have experienced high levels of persecution or discrimination. This was 20 million higher than the previous year. It's like every year it continues to escalate. The group also estimated that the number of Christians that have been killed or martyred for their faith rose to 5,808. That's, uh, that's up from 4,761 the previous year. Persecution, trials, struggles. You know, it's difficult to imagine what it feels like to endure such, that kind of trial and persecution for one's faith. Maybe we're tasting a little bit of it here when our freedoms in some way, but here we are gathered. There's some countries you can't do it. People who gather sometimes, are, they lose their, their lives because of it. But yet, because we may not endure that kind of trial because of our faith, we do, we do experience trials and suffering and challenges in the midst of our faith. Every one of us will. Every one of us will. You know, in our recent sermon series, we've been looking at um, this opening call, this, this last will and testament that the Apostle Peter is writing to these churches that are scattered throughout Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. We don't know how many churches, but he's writing to them and encouraging them in their faith. First Peter, you see suffering. He, he addresses suffering. And now in the, in the second letter, in fact, if you were to read chapter 2, you would see how false teachers had infiltrated the church and have just bringing about and just bringing a mess into the church. He's writing these believers, encouraging them in their faith. He's encouraging them to, to stand strong, to, to grow, and to, to launch forward in the midst of, of the turmoil and the struggle. And again, we, 
we're not walking that same road, but friends, we have, we experience the challenges of life. The world does press in on us. It presses in on our relationships, our friendships, on our jobs, our marriages, on our parenting, in every way. We have an enemy that is out to kill still and destroy us, and he'll do everything he can to to undermine us, to weaken our faith. And so Peter knows this, he understands this, and he's writing them and encouraging them and spurring them on. And I think these words apply to us today. They do apply to us today. These believers were beginning to, again, to experience some, some trials and suffering because of their faith and in the midst of their faith. They were having to endure testing and difficulties. We don't quite see martyrdom, but there was, sure, there was persecution going on in the church. Peter acknowledges that the journey of faith for the Christian is not an easy one. If it is easy, then maybe we're not on the right journey. It's going to require He says a patient endurance, a a spiritual fortitude and steadfastness. We see this quality in the list that we've been giving our attention to over over the past several weeks. This list of seven qualities that he says if we add to our faith or supplement to our faith, we can have, we can experience the life that we've always wanted. Now, hint, it's not exactly maybe what we think it is, but it is a life that's effective and fruitful that God uses to impact and change lives and that touches eternity. If you're new with us, I'm glad you're here. You're going to jump right in here in the middle of these things, but we're, we can give you a little bit of a background to it. But I want us to once again look again to this passage. <coughs> Second Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 3. It's a beautiful, beautiful verse, beautiful, beautiful section. Uh, if you have your Bibles or your phone, I would encourage you. I want you to turn. I want you to mark up your Bibles. Uh, I think you saw when they go out Friday or Saturday, a picture of my Bible. I love to mark up my Bible. I mean, just you know, If you don't have a Bible, you need a Bible, grab one of those black Bibles. On page 1018 is our, is our passage. Make notes, circle things. This is God's word to you and to me. Second Peter chapter 1. I want us to read this whole section, beginning verse 3 through 11. Peter writes, His or God's divine power has granted to us all things. Catch that. You can underline that. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. So for this reason, make every effort, go at this with gusto, he says, to supplement or to add to your faith virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, 
and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love, agape love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing or growing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let me just highlight a couple of things in review. First, God has given, has given you, has given me everything, all things, all things pertaining to life and and godliness. Everything that you need to experience the fullness of life, a godly life, a meaningful and purpose-fulfilled life, God has given it to you. You don't have to conjure it up. You don't have to go looking for it. He's He's granted it. He's given it. And you're like, well, I'm not experiencing it. I mean, how, he's given it? Well, it's, it's about growing, but he, it's there. It's available to us. Second, God has also given us, this passage says, his precious. And I like this word, very great. Not just his great promises. That'd be enough. But he says his very great promises. And these promises, what do they do? They enable us. They enable you and me to experience and to participate, to join in with the divine nature. So he's given us everything that we need for godliness. And now he's granted us his promises that that enable us to, to join in with the divine nature, to be like Christ to have a Christ-likeness. So I think what he's doing here, he's, he's tying in, hey, you can experience a life that's full of godliness and full of Christ-likeness. He's given you promises. He's given you everything that you need to live a life full of God and His Son, Jesus. The life that you've always wanted is much more than the world can offer. And why do we, why do so many try to find it in the world? Anybody have an answer? I mean, why do we go there? We think that the world is going to like, I mean, if I can just get this, or if I can, with a job, if I can just get this promotion, if I can just make it to this level, then things will be good. If I can just get to this house or this, this thing, we, we, the world is... If I can go on this vacation, my life will just, ah, if I could just have that, whatever. But those promises, those can be good things, but they're not going to bring us to eternal things. You know, God has lifted us, the passage says, out of the futility of this world. He's, he's lifted us out of that, and He's set us in the midst of a spiritually effective and fruitful life that impacts every aspect of our lives as we journey toward heaven. 
He's given you everything that you need. He's given me everything that I need for life, a godly life, a Christ-like life that will impact my family, my marriage, my relationships, my role in church, how God uses me in, in the lives of others, in my parenting, everything. The journey begins with faith. He says, you know, add to your faith. It begins, that's the foundational, that's the, that big gear that we've been talking about. And then on that big gear of faith, we add all of these, these other seven qualities and they work in tandem. They all work together. Faith is a commitment to trust God and to live our lives for His fame and glory and honor. Faith is, it's all about Him it's something that we, as a church, we do together. Faith isn't, a, isn't an individual kind of thing. We live out faith with others, with one another, within, the, within a body, a household of, of faith, the Scripture says. Group, a, a, a family living together for the honor and the fame of His name. Peter calls on us to supplement or to add to this faith Again, these qualities. That first is virtue. We talked about it. Virtue is, is that moral excellence, the things that, are, that God sees as, as pleasing, God-honoring things. Virtue. The second is knowledge. And again, this isn't just a head knowledge. This isn't just information that we stick in our brains. Now, this is a, this is a taking hold of, of biblical truth and living it out courageously. And that's sometimes hard to do. It's like, hey, I know this is what he calls me to do at school, right? This is what he calls me to do at school, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Or this is what he calls me to do at, at work. This is the kind of character, this is the kind of life I need to live at, at work, and so I'm going to be courageous. I'm not going to fall into the trap of being like everybody else. I want to be different. I want to be set apart. That's living out your knowledge. Knowing the truth and living in courageous abandonment for Him. And the third is self-control, which is basically keeping our, our desires, our passions in check and then guarding our hearts from the, I think again, from the lies that the world offers us. And then now to, to self-control, we are to add what we're looking at today, steadfastness, steadfastness. It's the quality of perseverance. In fact, your, some, of your, some of your translations might have perseverance or the word endurance. It's enduring spiritual hardships for the, for the long haul. It's remaining spiritually strong under the weight of, and pressures of the world. A beautiful picture of this is the is the formation of a diamond. I was I was looking it up, like well, how do, how do diamonds how do they form? Now you kind of know, and I, I got all kinds of different things. You're like billions of years ago, you know. You're like, okay, well maybe so, but a diamond basically is are carbon fibers in the earth, maybe ninety to one hundred and twenty miles deep down in where the, the pressure is so intense and the heat is so high, so hot, that it transforms those, 
those fibers and they, they bond together and they form a beautiful, a beautiful diamond, a very hard, beautiful diamond. And those diamonds, um, through various means, make their way to the, to the surface. We dig them up. And I remember, it just reminds me, the, probably 33 years ago, we've been married 32 years, so it was probably 33, we went to that little jewelry shop and it was time to pick out the diamond. And uh, we were going to create our, our own um, and you know, we, the guy opens up and has all those, remember all those little diamonds? And we were looking, we had kind of the shape kind of maybe figured out. And it's like, just you're looking at, there's the cut and the clarity, all of those sea things. And, and I remember he's like, hey, check this out. And he took those, they were just loose diamonds and he put them under a um, ultraviolet light or something. And it like, it like glowed. You remember that? And it was like, whoa, that's the diamond. He's like, yeah, it has some kind of effervescent something in it. And um, so, yeah, if you ever, like my wife's diamond, you ever in a room with a black light, you'll see her diamond sparkling. <laughs> but they're, these di- they're formed by this incredible pressure. And what comes out is this beautiful, beautiful thing that we look at today and we, we see as, as valuable. That's what, you know, those... Those, a diamond has to endure the pressure and the heat of, of its environment. Steadfastness is like that. It's, it's enduring in the midst of the pressures and the heat that the world brings upon us. But it's not just enduring the heat and pressures of life, not just getting by. It's, it's rather enduring with, spiritually, it's enduring with hope. It's... It's always looking beyond the, the heat and the pressure, looking beyond the, the current circumstances. And with that in mind, I want us to consider, he, he tells us to add to our faith, add to self-control, steadfastness. So what does that look like? I could probably give you a whole bunch of things, but I want to focus in on just two. two. I hinted at the first one. I think first we have to look forward. We have to simply look forward. When life gets hard, we, and think about it, we tend to focus on our current circumstances. And I've mentioned this before. I mean, I, I experience this. When the difficulties come, when we've had a health crisis in our, our our family, when I've experienced that, it just, it, it all kind of folds in. And everything's about that moment, right? When your marriage hits a rocky spot, when you're not sleeping at night because you have a crying newborn or child, when you're going from doctor to doctor trying to find answers to your health issues, when you're struggling to pay the bills or any other major difficulty, it's hard to even believe that there's a light at, at times at the end of a tunnel. It's like this tunnel is going deeper and deeper, and there is no light. I'm not even sure there's an, there's an opening on the other side. Now, steadfastness, it's not just hanging on for dear life, hoping that the circumstances will soon come to an end. It's not, um, it's not just um, holding on in a thankless job, wishing wishing it would change, or wishing your boss would finally be transferred to another place. 
it's not just hanging on and wishing your terrible two would turn into a terrific two. Steadfastness is about looking forward and seeing life from God's perspective. That's what steadfastness is. It's looking beyond the current and seeing a future that's guided by God. Let me bring you, I want to, I want to show you a passage in, that speaks to how Jesus endured, how he, how he lived his life in steadfastness. Hebrews 12, 2, listen to it. It says, we're to look to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured, it's the same word, endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus looked beyond the circumstance. He looked beyond the horrors of of a Roman crucifixion to the joy that was set before him. It's, it's hard to, I mean, all that went, what Jesus went through, I mean, just you start thinking about the beatings and the mocking, the ripping of the beard, the crown, the, the piercing of hands, the, the skirt, all of that. He endured for the joy set before him. Doesn't mean that he didn't experience the pain he did. But his eyes were looking forward. He was seeing a joy that was set before him. He was seeing a future through God's eyes in the midst of a horrific circumstance. By looking forward, he endured. Again, this is the exact same word that we have in our passage. Steadfast. He was steadfast. He endured. You know, if we back up a verse in that Hebrews passage, Hebrews 12, verse 1, says the author tells us to run with endurance. Run with endurance. Run with steadfastness, the race that's set before us. We are to look to Jesus, the one who authored, the one who established our faith, and the one who will carry us to the finish line. How do we supplement our faith? Well, we first we realize is. This is something that, that Jesus has established. He began it, and he's going to finish it. He authored it, and he's going to complete it. And then we, we take our eyes off of the present circumstance, and we look to him. You're like, man, but you don't, John, you don't, you don't understand the struggle that I'm in right now. You're probably right. Now, I've... I haven't been through maybe some of the things, I've, but I've been through my share of things. And I know it's, I know it's hard. There have been times when I've shared it before. You know, I've had some health things in the past, surgeries, and you know, just laying there in the hospital and got infection, had to go in, and you know, just weeks in a, in laying in a hospital bed. And you know, your mind goes different places. Depression comes in. I mean, it's hard. And it's, it's hard to like look forward for the joy set before me, you know, and I'm, you know, how do you do that? Well, it's a, it's a step at a time. And sometimes like, hey, this is, this is just, this little affliction will, will go away. And even if it doesn't, it's like Paul's, remember Paul had that thorn in the flesh? It's always just nagging at him. He mentions it one time and then you don't, you don't ever hear about it anymore. And he lives the rest of his life just thinking about Jesus, trying to bring glory to him by, by doing ministry. 
That's what you do. You get out of your current circle. Just quit looking at it. It's there. Dwelling on it is not going to move it forward. Look to Jesus. Look forward. He's at work. See the day when, when He welcomes you into His ultimate home. Press on toward the goal of the prize. I like how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. He says, For this light, momentary affliction. You're like, light, momentary? It doesn't feel light. It feels heavy. But the truth is, this is what it is. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, as we don't look at the present, the things that are my circumstance all around, hey, this is hard, this parenting thing is hard, or hey, this, I have a wayward child and it's, boy, this is a struggle, or hey, this job is just dead end and it is, this is a struggle, or the, the broken relationship in my, in my family, with my family member, whatever it is, that challenging health issue that you're going through, Don't let the circumstance cloud the future glory that is is in front of you. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Our current struggles are just for a moment. Just for a moment. And though they feel like a prolonged agony, they're... They're really just short and temporary. If we look forward with hope-filled eyes, we'll see that God is preparing, preparing for us a future glory. The Scripture says that we can't even, there's no comparison. God is working in the eternal as we're walking in the temporal. Think about that. God is working in the eternal as we're walking in the temporal. Listen again how Paul says it in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What in the world? Oh, God, thank you. I rejoice and give you praise in the midst of this trial. Is that what he's saying? That is exactly what he's saying. Rejoice. I rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces what? Endurance. There's that word again, steadfastness. God is at work and he's producing something in you. How do you add that to self-control all the way up to faith? Well, he says we suffer. (laughs) You want to add steadfastness to your faith? Well, the way we do it is God allows suffering in our life. He allows trials. And if we not, don't just look, get absorbed in the moment, but we look out there and we see that God is producing endurance and that, indu- that endurance produces character and that character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Are you at a dead end in some place? It's okay. You're right where you need to be. Is the struggle overwhelming? God has you right where you need to be. There's that saying, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. I don't think that's quite true. 
I think he will give you more than you can handle. Why? So that you don't rely on you. You have to rely on him. It's not about us. God, bring it on. Let us suffer. And suffer well for his glory. Because he is at work through the health crisis, through the struggles, through the marriage woes, through it all, through the loss. God is at work. He's building something. He's doing something that has eternal consequences. He's producing endurance. It flows into character that flows into hope. And I don't know about you, but to walk this journey of faith, we need hope. We need hope. If we will look forward knowing that God is working in our lives for eternal purposes, friends, we can rejoice and be steadfast. And we can endure with joy. Number one, to be steadfast is to look forward. Secondly, to be steadfast is also to abide in Christ. To abide in Christ. You know, this word steadfast in our passage, I'm no Greek scholar, but it's, I, always, I always go back to the original languages and uh, look at all the words in our passages. And this is abs- an absolutely beautiful, beautiful word. The Greek word is hypomone. Now, I mean, I don't say that to, you know, show off or anything, because I, I definitely, I got through Greek, and that was, that was about it. <laughs> um, I can read it, and that's about it. But hypomone, think about it, hypo. Um, hypo, hypo, you ever heard of a hypodermic needle? Where does a hypo needle go? Derma. Under, yeah, under the skin. How about um, hypothermia? It's your, you're your, your cold, you can't get warm, you're under, you're under heat, you're, you're, you're not warm enough, you're under, under thermist, in a sense. Hypomaneo, hypo, it means under, mane, or maneo, means to remain, to abide. And so, this word steadfast or endurance means to remain under. It's like that, that diamond, those, those carbon fibers. They're, they're, they're there and they have to remain. They have to endure. They have to bear under the pressure and the heat. And that's what this word is. It's to remain under, to abide under. And the way we remain or the way we abide under the difficulties is ultimately by remaining or abiding in Christ. So to, so follow me here, to endure, to remain under or to abide under the difficulties, to bear under the difficulties, we are to abide or remain in Jesus. There's a beautiful, beautiful chapter in the Bible. It's all about abiding. I just encourage you to go sometime this week and just marinate in it. I've talked, I mean, I love that word, marinate. Throw some meat in a Ziploc bag with some marinate, and what do you do? You leave it in the refrigerator. How long do you marinate your meat? 
cooks out here? What do you do? How long? Half a day. All right. We need a marinate in, in John chapter 15. And you, you'll see this word abide or remain. It's the word maneo. It's not hypomaneo, but it is maneo. It means abide. It's the same root that our word steadfast. John 15. Listen to this, verses 4 and 5. Jesus says, Abide in me, or remain in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I happen to have an example. Tell me about this right here. What's wrong with this stick? It's dead. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's crisp. It's very crisp. <laughs> it's, it, there's no life in this. It's not, it has no leaves. This is an oak branch. And so there's no fruit, no acorns on this thing. Never will it again. Why? Right there. Yeah. It's not attached. It's not abiding in, in its source. It's like the vine that's been separated from uh, the branch that's been separated from the vine. That's exactly what's happened there. And this is what Jesus is saying. He said, if you abide in me, you're going to have life. You're going you're to bear fruit, much fruit. But if you don't, you're going to wither up. Abiding as Christ is to be, is to be really connected to, to him. Ever heard that word connect? Have you ever heard us use that word? Have you ever heard us say that it would be great, like it would be a great mission if our church, if we were about helping to connect people to Christ? That's what abiding is. That's part of what we want to do. We want to help you. We want to together uh, seek to, to be connected to Christ because without that, I mean, we're not going to be fruitful. We're not going to, God can't use us in the ways that, uh, if we're not, well, in any way, if we're not connected deeply into him. You know, we're not here just to introduce people to Jesus. We want people to be grafted in, to be connected into Jesus. In John fifteen seven, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You want to ignite your prayers? Jesus says, well, let, let my words, let my word abide in you. Abiding is Christ, is, is to let his words remain, to reside, to marinate in our lives. There's a man named Sinclair Ferguson. He says it this way. Abiding in Christ means allowing his word to fill our minds, to direct our wills. And to transform our affections. Abiding in Christ is, it's, it's reading. It's reading the word. It's doing the word. It's letting the word change us. I mean, I, every week I've just been reading through First Peter. It's, it's short. I mean, Second Peter, it, that's it right there. One, I mean, it's one, two, 
two and a half pages. It's just, I've just been reading every week, actually a couple of times. And just every time I read it, I get something new and fresh out of it. And I'll stop there and I'll like, oh man, what is that? Oh, how come I, I didn't, and I'll grab my little color pencil and I'll circle that. And then you get to chapter two and it's like, oh my word, these, these false teachers, man, he brings the hammer down on them. You're like, these people were in the church. How discouraging how they had to remain and abide in the midst of, of, of this. And then he talks about the day that the Lord's going to come. He closes out, to him be glory now to the day of eternity. Abiding in Christ. Think again for a moment about the, that vine. Vines. Um, we lived in Arkansas. There's a town up just north of where we live called Tawny Town. They had the they had a, a grape festival. There's a there's Italian Italians came and settled there, and they built vineyards. And you can drive through there and, and see them. They're beautiful. Probably you guys from California. I mean, there's vineyards everywhere. I just downloaded on my computer the uh, the new. I think it's called Sonoma, the the up, upgrade. And computer it opened up on the. Like when you open up a computer, you'd have this, and I don't know where it is, I guess Sonoma, wherever Sonoma is, and it's, you see these vines, the, the vineyards are just beautiful. And they're all trimmed, and, and a vine dresser will go out and he'll prune, or she'll prune the, the vine. And that's, that's what we need. We have to be, friends, we have to be pruned in order to bear fruit. John 15, again, here it is, John, this, this first two verses. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my Father. God is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do? He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Friends, for us to experience the life that we've always wanted, God is going to need to do some pruning. Pruning involves cutting. It, in, it involves some reshaping. The stuff that sometimes we don't really like. It is the trials. God allows the trials and the suffering, the difficulties in our lives with purpose. Pruning enables us to draw fully from Jesus. Like the pruned branch draws fully from the vine. Pruning enables us to be more fruitful. God allows the challenges again in our lives to prune us so that both internally as we draw upon Jesus and externally the fruit that we bear, we're able to flourish. That's why we can rejoice in our sufferings. So again, how do we abide? How do you abide in Jesus? Well, a couple things, just real easy. You abide in Jesus in your personal time. I mean, just spending some time with him every day. Friend, I mean, I mean, there's hardly a Sunday that goes by that it doesn't come back to that, right? I mean, it's just so foundational. To, to be connected to the vine is to spend time with Jesus to be connected to Jesus, to hear from him, to, to listen to him. 
He's, he's written this. This is his words to us. God's word. Just spend a little time with him. Read with me this week. Read through 1 Peter. You can do it in about less than five minutes. I promise you. And just say, God, speak to me. Encourage me. Build me up here. There's a lot there. You do it in your personal time. You do it in your corporate time with Jesus. That's what we've done here today. We we gather. We're encouraged. You're sitting under the teaching of God's Word. You you gathered in your life groups and you heard the teaching of the Word. We've sung together. We, We get to experience life together. And then, and then we do it also in our time with one another. So we do it in our personal time, we do it in our corporate time, and we do it with one another. This is where we, we bear with one another. We encourage one another. We stir up one another. All those one another's that are in the New Testament. We pray for one another. We bear with one another. We endure with one another. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we mourn with those who mourn. This means we have to be a little bit vulnerable. We have to be, be willing to, to share. I know sometimes it's, you're not going to just walk out into the foyer and, hey, let me tell you about the struggles I'm going through. Right? Like, I don't want to bother anybody with that. Well, friend, come and bother me about it, with it. I would love to walk with you in it. And there's many of you that have I've done it with me, and I do it with you. We do it with one another. To your faith, friends, we are to add virtue. And to virtue, we're to add knowledge. And to knowledge, we're to add self-control. And to that self-control, we're to add steadfastness. Faithful enduring. God has given you everything that you need to do this. Everything. In your trial, in your struggle, in those moments that there seems to be no light or, or no way out. In those times when you feel lost, joyless, and numb. Look forward. Look forward. Don't look at your current circumstance. Look forward and hope. And then abide in Jesus. I think if you do those two things, I think things, things will change. Remember that Jesus also suffered. And he suffered that we might have life and have it to the full. He says it this way, for Christ, this is Peter's first letter, Christ also suffered once for sins, the just or the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Christ suffered, but he didn't just look at his suffering. He saw what he was doing. The righteous, Jesus Christ, righteous, pure, set apart, holy. And yet he died for us, the unjust, the sinner, so that he might bring us to God. That's the gospel. What a love. And how God used the suffering and the endurance of Christ to bring us to him. 
Jesus put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit. He did that so that we, you and I, can be put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. And so we now, we move forward. We also endure. We suffer with purpose. God can use it, and he does for his glory and and for his honor. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you. We thank you. Somehow, right now, God, we thank you. We rejoice in suffering, in the trials, in the difficulties, in the brokenness. Because in it, God, you can change us. God, help us not to just get caught up in our, in our own circumstances. Help us not to you know, defend or blame shift or, or not take responsibility or, or, or just see it as, a, as an inconvenience or um, just you know, something awful and, and wonder, why, God, why? God, you're in the midst of the suffering and you allow it into our lives that as we endure, as we um, bring steadfastness into the equation, God, you do amazing things. Just like through your son who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Oh God, for the, for the hope, for the joy that is set before us one day. Oh, may we endure. May we be steadfast. Help us again, God, not to look at the trial, but to look forward to the triumph. God, help us not to try to live this life um, apart from the vine. Oh, God, help us to abide, to remain under the joy of knowing our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, make us fruitful. Make us effective for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name.